Welcome to the Run Strong Podcast, episode 90. Rob Jones, we're putting in the late shift today. I know, what's the, these evening sessions? Yeah, well, mate, he's the, our guest today is from the UK and currently mm-hmm. in the UK. And so you and I have made a little bit of evening commitment. We also have Lee on the show today interviewing our guest, who is Damien Hall, who is quite a famous ultra runner. And I'm not going to say too much more because he'll talk about it a little bit more in, in the interview. You and Lee... Mm-hmm interviewing him because you are both the ultra geeks i sat back and just listened but this show is one of our new shows brought to you by precision hydration precision hydration not only are the leaders within hydrating you during your running with their Mm -hmm. amazing hydration sachets that come in 500 1000 or 1500 milligrams which is so so helpful especially out here in the blistering hot temperatures where you can sometimes need up to nearly two to three gram, milligrams of sodium per hour. Rob Jones, I think you're one of those heavy sweaters. With I am a heavy sweater, eyes. correct, yes. <laughs> well, they've now also moved into the fueling game, which they've come out with a gel and also a drink mix. And they have gone for 30 grams per gel serving or 30 grams per drink mix serving, which is a little bit more than what most gel companies use. Most are about 20. That's it, yeah, 2021, some of them, aren't they? Yeah, and these guys have gone for 30, and they also have a quick carb calculator, which you can, if you go to the link in the show notes, you can head over to that link and click on there and have a look up. You basically, it's a bit like our um, ultimate spreadsheet that we use for clients, but you go on, you put in what sort of intensity you're doing your event at, and it will tell you a quick idea of how much carbohydrates you need per hour You can also do their free online sweat test, which will give you an idea of what sort of milligram of sodium and fluids you will need per hour. And if all that still doesn't make sense to you, you can book a free 20-minute hydration and fueling strategy video consultation with them, with one of their sports scientists. That's, That's really good. That's, I mean, that that is actually really, really good. There's not many people offering that sort of service to keep you hydrated. There isn't. So for those links, please head over to the show notes and have a look at those. If you're already sold, you can go straight to precisionhydration.com and use the code RUNSTRONG15 and get 15% off your first order, either their electrolytes or their fueling. I am mainly using their 1,500 milligram packets. And what I love is their packets for cycling. They fit in your pocket. You don't have to carry a tube. They're just single servings that fit in your pocket. Mm. So I go into Zads. I say to my man, my man, please fill my bottles (laughs) up with ice. He goes and fills it up with ice. I then go grab some water. Water goes in the ice. Packet of electrolyte goes in on top. He goes, sir, we sell that here. I said, no, you don't. You sell ones that are like 200 milligrams sodium, which is no good to me. I blink Mm. and I sweat that much out. So I bang in one of these 1500 milligrams. They all look at me in awe and then I walk straight out. Lots of people are using salt stick, aren't they? If you have a look, have a look at the capsules and salt stick and you just have to realize how many of those you need to consume to get the required sodium loss. Are they 250? Lose your mind. Yeah, for two capsules. So five, Yeah, you're not even close. Five servings, 10. Why are you chewing on capsules when you could be sipping glorious hydration nectar? And I, I, before we got this discount code, I was paying full price for these and I still would pay full price for these. They are th- incredible. Yeah. Incredible. I mean, I was as well, for sure. Um, and they also 
are bringing us some incredible guests. So this show is a precision hydration podcast show, and they have brought us one of their athletes, Damien Hall, who is one hell of an athlete to have in your stable. <laughs> Unreal. So without further ado, guys, please welcome to the show, Mr. Damien Hall. Damien, welcome to the Run Strong podcast. Hi, thank you. Um, we also have Lee joining us this week from all the way from the UK as well. He's replaced the very good looking Tom Walker. We've we decided to sack him off and give Lee a, a shot at asking some questions as well. So welcome to the show, Lee. Oh, yeah, man. I, I wouldn't say I'm better looking, but, <laughs> you know, I'll take that. <laughs> Damien, let's get over to you. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Why, why are you fitted for our podcast? Why have we got you on? <laughs> I've no idea. <laughs> Um, it's probably, probably your mistake. I, I, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I don't really know. I'm just a, uh, 45 year old father of two with a, with a running problem, really. We've never heard it described like that before. Running problem. <laughs> Give us a bit of your background then, because you've, you've done a lot for the running scene. And I think any, anyone that's in the ultra world will an, at least know your name maybe even picked up some of your books, maybe seen some of your race results, follow you on Instagram. You're, you're pretty much everywhere. Right. Uh, well, I, yeah, I, um, I only got into running sort of less than, less than a decade ago. I signed up for a, a half marathon on a, on a whim. Um, before that, I was really into to football and um, trekking, long distance walking. Um, and I can see now that actually those two are quite a nice combination. I guess the football is the, is the intervals, the, the speed workouts and a bit of strength maybe. And um, long distance walking is that kind of endurance and being out. You know, I love loved doing multi-day walks um, where you'd, you, I guess you'd be self-sufficient to an extent and, and you're going up and down lumps and putting up with a bit of chafing in the bathing suit area and, and, and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, I did this half marathon, loved it and was quickly doing a marathon and an ultra marathon. Um, and, and then I suppose going up the distances quite quickly as well. Cause I was always fascinated in that idea. Okay. If you ran that distance, can you, can you run, you know, a bit further, I suppose a bit further and, and, and that just keep going for a few years until you realize in a way you can just go as far as you want to go. Um, um, so yeah. So there you, there you have it. So, um, on the uh, Instagram profile, you mentioned yourself as a carbon negative ultra runner. Um, would you be able to explain to us a little bit about what that means? Yeah, I'm just, I'm just really um, anxious. I don't know, I use a different word every time, I think. An anxious, stressed, angry um, at our government's um, slow action on, on the, the ecological climate and ecological emergency that we're in. Um, you know, we can see it in the last week or two in the news, um, just the temperatures recorded around the world. Um, it's, it's, it's really, you know, the scientists are, are unanimous on it, but then it's kind of like, and, and yet, and they say we've got to reduce global emissions by 45% this decade. And yet that really, really, really isn't happening. Um, and we're really running out of time and I've got two kids and I just kind of think if, um, you know, what sort of planet are we passing on to them? And they're just going to look back at us and, and, think that we're you know selfish selfish pricks really I suppose um we we knew what was happening and we didn't do anything um but then but then the big debate is is this a personal issue that we can solve ourselves by you know 
recycling more, you know, eating more hummus and, and less red meat and doing our recycling. And, uh, and, and there's something to be said for that. Uh, really, that probably isn't going to solve it. You know, it's the governments and the corporations that have got to act really urgently. Um, but so, so I felt a bit like powerless, I suppose. And I've been involved with Extinction Rebellion and got involved in their protests because that to me seems like the most obvious way to, um, I, I guess, yeah, push things forward. Um, but then I also thought, well, I'm still flying around the world doing, doing races and, and that's not quite right for me anymore. Um, I'm not, I've never said I'll never fly again, but one year, two or three years ago, I did fly, I did fly seven times in return flights in a year. One was a family holiday, you know, one was a, something for Innovate, my main sponsors. Um, but that was five races and recce's as well. And I just thought, actually, I'm not, I'm not telling anyone else what they should or shouldn't do, but I just thought for me, that's not, that's not okay anymore. It's not responsible enough. Um, and anyway, also people are, you know, they're just gonna mock you if you're banging on about our climate emergency and, and just flying everywhere. Um, so I, I worked with a company called Our Carbon, um, who are like, a, and we'll see companies like this, you know, all the time now, they're, they're basically carbon accountants. So they work with companies and they analyze how many emissions is that company creating? And in my case, it was just, just me and my family. So it's quite a, probably quite a, a hopefully a shorter, easier study for them. Um, but it was quite interesting to see what you could do to, to improve things. And then ultimately there are some things you just can't get rid of. Um, so um, I, I did offset them, but I, I made dramatic changes in, you know, diet and travel and so on. Um, and that made me carbon negative. I might, um, for the last year, I actually have to meet with them, uh, I can't remember if it was this week or next week, to, yeah, to, to do this year's. But it was just out of curiosity, really. Um, I mean, that's not gonna change the world, but I like, I like to keep it on the agenda. And then it's, the very fact you've asked me, that means it's getting discussed. More people are gonna, um, I mean, I think most people know the situation, or I hope so, um, but it's not moving quickly enough. But. Um, I should probably start stop ranting and raving there. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. Um, so, so what does that look like in terms of your races now? Then, does that mean you're sort of not racing as regularly abroad, or you making other ways to get there? Uh, well, a bit of both. I mean, I guess yeah. I thought, well, like I, I'm not going to fly much. You know, I'm going to fly a lot less. And then, of course, the whole world went into lockdowns, and it was quite easy not to fly, and everyone else was doing the same. So it didn't <laughs> feel like such a bold gesture after that. Um, but I thought. Yes. Yeah, so for example, my next race, um, assuming it goes ahead, will be UTMB. And I've realized you can get the train there, um, you know, th sort of three train journeys, um, which is a massive reduction in, in emissions compared to a flight. But of course, it's more expensive. It's more time consuming. Um, but to me, that's I'm, I'm happier doing that. Um, and then, yeah, race less abroad. Um, but at the moment, I guess we're all we're all doing that. Um, yeah. There are, in terms of a, a personal's individual footprint, in most cases, it comes down to three things being about 75% of it. And that'll be diet, your energy, as in the energy of your sort of house or business um, and travel. So diet, uh, sorry, energy is really easy. Like most people can just switch to a renewable energy supplier on, uh, you know, on online, might even save money. Um, diet, I think most of us know as well, it's got to be less, um, you know, beef is by far the worst. It's got to be less red meat, less dairy. Um, overall, so I went, I went vegan, which has been a lot of fun so far. And the third one is the travel. And I do find that more difficult because um, I'll be totally honest with you. You know, I don't, I'm trying to race in mountainous races and I don't live in all that near mountains. So um, for me, I go to the Brecon Beacon sometimes, which is about an hour and a half drive. Um, 
and it's a real pain to use public transport to get there, which will be a lot lower emissions. So I must admit that's my kind of guilty pleasure is that once a fortnight, roughly, I will drive there and drive back. Um, but then I personally rarely use a car in a normal day. And I guess, yeah, balanced overall, I am, you know, my family is carbon negative, but it's not, it's not perfect, but nothing, nothing about this is. <laughs> but you seem to be making a pretty, pretty strong effort there to, to like I said, minimise your emissions overall. And I think using your platform as well is, is quite a, a bold statement as well. Yeah, thank you. Um, I mean, and also I think I, I hold my hand up and say, you know, I, to some extent I'm a hypocrite because I am still driving sometimes, you know, I will still fly sometimes. Um, but it, but to me now a flight is really a really difficult thing to do. Um, like I've got the option at the moment, I'm going to do some travel in U Europe to prepare for UTMB. And I was just plotting, you know, and for a minute I was like, well, it'd be so much easier to fly, but actually I'd, I'd, I'd feel terrible uh, personally um, flying when I didn't really need to. Um, but yeah, the, the problem is nearly everything we do creates emissions, all our food, all our clothing, you know, um, uh, and, and so we're either a hypocrite. In the words of Jonathan Pye, um, who's that sort of online um, comedian, you know, you're either a hypocrite or an asshole because, um, <laughs> because by the time we're not a hypocrite anymore, it's too late. You know, we get, if, we, if we can absolutely get rid of all our emissions and live in a, a hut in the woods and forage for mushrooms, which is, you know, a perfectly laudable play, way to live, but would be difficult for a lot of us. Um, you know, it's, it's too late, you know, it's too late. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm a hypocrite to an extent, but um, I'm just, you know, and maybe I'll get some of this wrong, but I'm just, I'm just panicked, I suppose, about it all, um, rightly or wrongly, time will tell, but um, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Do you feel that switching to carbon negative has affected your running in any way? No. So you mentioned like changing to a vegan diet, for example, did you find that that affected your running or did your training habits have to change or alter in any way? No. No, I mean, in a way it coincided quite nicely. So the diet thing, um, uh, yeah, I know, if I'm honest, I've noticed no change. Um, I mean, the two things people have to look for a bit if they go sort of plant-based is obviously looking for, looking for protein and making sure they get enough in. So I'm eating, eating a lot more hummus than I used to. Um, and the other one is sometimes you just don't get as many calories in because you, you have your evening meal where there used to be meat, which is a, a lot more calorific. Um, and, and yeah, yeah, a, bit, a few courgettes doesn't quite have the same uh, cal calorific uh, intensity. But so sometimes you have to eat a bit more I, or I'm hungry again after dinner, you know, but that's mm -hmm. an easy fix. You just have another snack. It's great. Um, and then in terms of, I suppose, racing and challenges, in a way, it's been the lockdown has been helpful because we're all mostly in our own countries at the moment. And, and the whole there was this huge explosion of FKTs and that suited me. Um, because it meant, you know, yeah, domestic challenges and so on. So to date, no. And I actually, I actually thought, well, some sponsors won't like this. Um, and again, but actually the reaction's been the opposite, that people have got in touch or sponsors have turned to me and say, we like that you're doing this, keep it up. Um, um, and my main sponsor, Innovate. I mean, again, there is a contradiction there because clothing and kit is, is one of the big problems in the, in the world. Um, and, and I suppose in waste and the emissions that that creates. Um, but so far we're getting on, we're getting on well and, um, I've had good conversations with them and, you know, they want to make the right changes as well. Um, but so often it's more complicated than it, than it sounds to us. Um, just for, just a very quick example is like, I wanted them to reduce plastic packaging on, on the kit that gets sent over. Um, and they, they have done, they, they have, but sometimes, um, say paper packaging is going to be heavier and then the boat. Is going to create more emissions because it's there's a heavier load on the boat so it's not always better so it's quite it's 
in every, and I am researching a book on this as well. And, and every time I look into this, again, the plastic packaging on nutrition, for example, um, may lead to more waste uh, and things like that. So it's always, it's frustratingly complex every time I have a conversation, but I feel like at least most of the brands I'm associated with are yeah, trying to do the right thing. And, and I feel like there has been a sea change. I'd be interested to see what you guys think, actually. Do you feel like there's been a sea change in the last year or two of sort of consciousness of, of I don't know, we've all got to be a bit more responsible or something something along those lines? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, especially over in the UK, I definitely think we've seen a shift uh, on the packaging side of things. Um, you know, a lot of companies trying to be more sustainable with what they're, like you said, wrapping their products in or sending their products out in whether that's, you know, reducing plastic. Uh, supermarkets have obviously done quite a big thing as well over in the UK as well in terms of reducing that. Um, I'd say on the running side, I've not really seen that much, um, which is quite interesting because I, and I saw you um, you released the, the Trees Not Tees uh, Foundation as well in terms of minimising T-shirts given away at, at races and stuff like that. And I have to say, I know obviously we've not done a huge amount of races over the last year or so, but... I have to say, I've not seen a reduction personally in people offering the t-shirts, whether that is paid for or free. Mm. Yeah, I think, I think the initial idea is that you sort of give people the option so they can have a t-shirt or they could plant a tree. Um, and I was told that at least in most cases, about 20% of people are going for the, the tree, which actually Jim Mann at Trees Not Tees uh, was, was quite excited about. He thought that was pretty good for, you know, for, for the early stages. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, no one's trying to take, you know, if you do a huge race that you're going to be really proud of, no one's trying to say you shouldn't have a memento from it. I think in some cases, um, you know, you know, t shirt isn't isn't the greatest evil in the world, but they are surprisingly bad. Um, yeah, as long as if you have a t shirt, if you as long as you use it lots, that's great. Um, I suppose the problem is if we just chuck it in a drawer, um, then that, you know, never use it, that's a big waste. Um, yeah. And then it goes in the landfill or whatever. And that's, that's a waste as well um well rob and tom don't have to worry about that because they don't wear any tops so they're all good <laughs> yeah it's quite alarming seeing all this naked flesh uh... <laughs> it's actually i was thinking about that ultra x did something very similar and it was uh you can forego your race medal and they will plant a tree for you instead ah there you go which was, i think was a very a very good thing as well yeah no i i feel like yeah i'm looking into events actually the biggest footprint at an event is almost definitely the the, the people traveling to it mm -hmm. um and but that again that's tricky isn't it because is that on the event or is that on the individuals like um you know of course you make the decisions about how you get there but i suppose some events could naturally make more effort in terms of you know maybe providing a minibus from a train station or or at least helping people get there incentivizing low carbon travel um but that is a tricky one because yeah the biggest thing is going to be the travel um so yeah, there's probably some, yeah, some, some, some events have taken the lead and, and, and are doing well. And I suppose some need to need to catch up a bit, I suppose. Awesome. So uh, I think that segues nicely into UTMB, doesn't it? In terms hey. of uh, what's your prep looking like at the moment? Are you confident? Are you looking at going for a podium? Oh yeah. It's the win or nothing going out, going out hard, um, doing a Zach Miller. Um, <laughs> Yeah, prep's been good. I guess it's only really been in the last couple of weeks where I've really thought, actually, this is probably going to be on. Uh, when are we chatting? We're chatting sort of mid-July, I mean, July 19th. Um, for a while, uh, I guess like a lot of us for the last year or so, it's been like, will it be on? We don't really know. 
but they're sending out fairly confident kind of emails and issuing press releases and things like that. So, and they say they've talked talk to the French government. And so it sounds like they can put something on. Um, so it's only the last week or so where I've started to get, you know, quite excited about it. Um, like I say, I was just plotting just today and yesterday, plotting some training in, in some big mountains. Um, yeah, I'm excited. Um, I guess we still don't know if it's the same route. I guess, you know, going through three countries might be problematic. I don't know. Um, but no, excited. Training's good and I'm excited to, excited to get out there. It's been, a, it's been a while. In an ideal world, how long would you prep specifically for a race like that? Usually about six to eight weeks. Um, I suppose uh, normally, so my current coach is, is David Roach um, uh, from America and he's, his idea is that we should be working on our, our economy most of the time, our, mm -hmm. our running economy. Um, and for people who, who aren't familiar with that, really, I suppose the idea there, there is that it's your make, making your easy pace a bit faster or hopefully faster paces a bit easier. Um, and obviously the, the, uh, the idea in an ultra, if you're running for 20 hours, if your easy pace is just a bit quicker, that can make quite a big difference. Um, so most Especially of the time, when it's got 11,000 meters of elevation as well. Yes. Yeah, it's a slow one. Um, yeah, so, so most of the time we're working on that. And then, and then about maybe six weeks out from a, from a big challenge, we'd, we'd switch to a more specific uh, phase. And that normally, you know, in UTMB's case means, yeah, going up and down big lumps, really, and, and mm -hmm. the long runs becoming longer. Um, so I guess I've just started doing that. Um, but before that, actually, long runs aren't super long, maybe, you know, 16, 18 miles, um, you know, not lots of sort of 20s and 25s or anything, because then, well, it depends where you are in your journey, but maybe you're too tired for the, you know, the, the speed work the next week or whatever. Um, so, yeah, most of the time economy and then sort of switching to a more specific phase nearer the, nearer the race. And do you try and replicate sort of elevation gain as much as possible to the route? Yes. Um, I don't really calculate kind of, I mean, for some of my clients, actually, I suppose I do, I, you know, I might calculate a race they're doing and, and you, you know, sort of meters of vert per mile. Yeah. Um, sorry, not yeah, foot, foot of vert per mile or, or meters per kilometer. Um, um, but I, I don't personally, I suppose, cause I've done UTMB four times. Um, and last time I was, last time I was there I, for four weeks, I think I aimed for just sort of 20,000 foot of vert in for those four weeks. Um, I might not manage it this time. I did manage that last week, which I was very pleased about. Just made it um, with, with just in Wales as well. That was yeah, that was trip yeah, a trip to Snowdonia. Wow. Um, I can't do that. I can't really do that at home. It, um, well, I suppose I could, but it would get incredibly boring. Going <laughs> up. Yeah, I live I live in the the Wiltshire Mountains. Um, <laughs> that yeah, again, that involves some travels to some lumpier places. Um, and I have actually got a B race this weekend, which which isn't loads of vert. So I might, I probably won't make it this week, but I'm not too worried because I've got, I suppose I've got years, years in me as well. Although, well, that's a separate debate actually. I mean, those, those, that strength and adaptations come and go a bit more, but um, yeah, I'll do that. And then, and then hopefully some good mountain running. Um, but that's, that's the idea for now. Yeah. And, and what sort of role does strength training play, especially in that last six to eight weeks? Yeah, no, I'm a big, I'm a big advocate of strength training, you know, partly because I'm an older athlete as well. Now I'm 45 and, and studies show, well, firstly, studies show strength training um, can improve economy. So it ties in nicely. Um, then 
for older athletes for 40 uh was it 40 or not but it might have even been before 40 but there is some muscle wastage um and i didn't have much, much muscle in the first place so <laughs> um so i do strength training maybe even sort of two hours a week um uh some of that's remote some of it's you know with um with with coach d at, in bath uh, a pure the pure practice um i'm going in to see him tomorrow um in terms of how it looks differently in that phase it's not massively different if i'm honest but but we definitely back off a bit you know you don't want to go into the race with with you know heavy legs just like you back off when you're running i guess you definitely taper your your strength training um but i i mean actually i'll discuss that with him a little bit tomorrow when i see him but um but yeah i mean pretty much year-round strength training for me um and i really i guess i've finally started to actually enjoy it i mean i know a lot of runners have that problem well not you know you enjoy running but the stuff that isn't running it's harder to do, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, it's not easy. I wouldn't get up at 5 or 6 a.m. to do strength work, um, but I would happily to run. Um, but to me, the trick is, well, there are two tricks, I would say. That old, that bought, that annoying word sort of routine, like if it's, I don't know, 8 o'clock on a Wednesday, you know, if that's the best place, put it in your calendar and, and you know, have an alarm go off, time to do your strength work. Um, and the other one is, if you've got the sort of job, you know, a lot of us are working from home now, you know, leave, my wife doesn't like this, but I'll leave kettlebells or, or weight vests and things or resistance bands around the house. And then you put the kettle on, you do a few resistance bands, you know, exercises. Um, she goes around tidying them up after me. But, <laughs> but um, you know, even if it's two minutes here, two minutes there, two minutes there, two minutes there, that, that could, you know, over the course of a week could be, could be quite effective. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm a big fan of strength work. Do you include any any specific training for for runs through the night in your in your schedule? Because UTMB, I think it starts at six pm, something like this. So you start, mm. you've been awake all day, and you have to deal with the cognitive fatigue that you've had from race nerves and excitement, and then you go straight into well, <laughs> lots of elevation at nighttime when you should be in bed. I I don't really actually. I, I guess I just rely on previous experience of it. Um, and I do think ever since I first ran through the night, which must have been sort of six or seven years ago, um, it's, I would never say, yeah, it's never felt too challenging. Uh, obviously a second night is, a, is another factor. And, and at UTMB, a lot of people will go, will be running through a second night. Mm. That, that's, you know, I mean, I'm stating the obvious, but that, that's harder. Um, uh, you know, I'm fairly used to running through one night now. I must've done it, I don't know how many times. Um, but, but may, maybe 20 times. So, so it's fairly common. Um, I mean, number one thing is to, is to the simple, you know, remember to keep eating and drinking. So you got your energy up and then often that, you know, some caffeine comes into play. Um, mm -hmm. And then if it really is becoming a battle, you know, power, power naps can really be effective. I mean, I don't expect to do that at UTMB, but um, that, that can be a really good tactic at other, other long races. Um, so no, I don't really. Um, I, I might I might ponder after our call whether that would help or not, um, but yeah, it's never felt too uncomfortable for me to go through one night. And would you say um, that you not sleeping at sort of checkpoints and stuff is quite a common tactic you use on your longer races, or does it depend on the race itself? Yeah, it would depend a lot on the length. Um, yeah, UTMB, I've sort of never planned to sleep and, and never slept. Um, but then I'm often finishing, I suppose, around 24 hours. And there are a lot of people, I think you're allowed up to 46 hours. Mm. So there are a lot of people coming in at 40 hours and, and they might have had at least power naps. 
Um, but then when you go, like when I ran the Pennine Way last year, it was always gonna be a second night. So I guess I had a, a sort of, a, I was open-minded, I suppose, you know, thinking I probably will need a power nap or two at some point. Um, and in the end I had three, although one of them I didn't actually sleep on. I just sort of rested, realized it wasn't working and, and up I got and went. Um, and looking back, I don't know if I judged them brilliantly, if I'm honest. And, and I probably took the first one too soon. I probably, it was probably more of a calorie deficit than a, than a need for sleep. Um, it's, it's a lot easier afterwards to, to analyze it. Um, but yeah, certainly when I'm running something that long, power naps come into it. Um, certainly something like the spine race or people preparing, you know, tour de Gion where they might be out three, four, five nights. Yeah, you definitely, <laughs> you definitely need a bit of shut eye on something like that. <laughs> Amazing. I think a nice. Um, I think talking about the book would be uh, sort of the next logical step. Now, um, you've just had a book come out. Do you want to tell us about it? Oh, it's rubbish. Don't buy it. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, it's called in it in it for the long run. It came out a couple of months ago. Um, um, what else can I say? Yeah, it's full of. It's really self disgustingly sort of self-indulgent self-aggrandizing um <laughs> most mostly nonsense uh yeah a publisher approached me um last summer i guess in the, the middle of the sort of fkt craze that was going on and sort of said you know we know you're running the pen on way soon you know you're 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 kind of you've got a lot of experience of these and i think that yeah by now i think i've done about eight sort of record attempts so that are like non-race non-race yeah. runs so they, they kind of wanted to hear more about that side of things. Um, and yeah, it, it sort of changed a bit as we went along, but they wanted, you know, they were keen on certain themes to be in there. Um, and yeah, people seem to be, I mean, it's hor It's a sort of a horrible feeling doing it. You kind of go, oh yeah, wow. Like I can, I've got a, hopefully I've got a story to tell here that people might be interested in. But then when you hand it over, it's a horribly vulnerable feeling because you're, you suddenly think, oh, I didn't say a very nice thing about that person, or I should have said something <laughs> kinder about that person, or um, or what if someone remembers it completely different and calls you a fibber? You know, <laughs> you know, they remember that you were crying and wet, you know, peeing yourself, and you, you'd for neglected to mention. Uh, um, but so far, publicly at least, everyone's been very nice about it. Um, but I still wouldn't, I still wouldn't waste your money on it. <laughs> well i've already got mine order so it's too late oh uh, sorry apologies in advance <laughs> um and so is there a goal to try and take the uh the pennine way fkt back he went there he went there um yeah it wasn't long after the book came out that it, was it wasn't no, soon out of date. yeah how long was it it was only a few, i think it was only a few weeks yeah. um the the rascal um <laughs> Yeah. So for those who don't know, last summer, um, there's a, there's a pesky American living in my neighboring County who, who, who I consider to be a friend, um, who he ran the Penn first and we'd been chatting about it together all year. It, it was, um, uh, and, and change, you know, exchanging information and, and ideas. Um, and for a while I was going to go first and then he was going to go first. Um, and he, he set, he broke the record that had stood for 30 years. And then I, rather meanly, I suppose, eight days later, went and broke his record. Um, although he, he always knew that might happen. Um, and then this year he went back and, and smashed my record by well over three hours, which was a little bit disappointing. Um, it was in the opposite direction though. So you've got to give yourself a bit of credit. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was a very strong run. But I would say, 
yes, I haven't, I, I certainly haven't discounted going back. Um, I do think that the Penang Way, more than, more than quite a lot of runs in Britain, you, you've really got to have the right underfoot conditions because it, it can be pretty boggy. Yeah. Um, and even when John broke the record, actually, it wasn't, wasn't brilliant underfoot in places. So one of the only ways I could beat him was to have, is to have better conditions. So yeah, I don't have time this year, but I certainly haven't, certainly haven't ruled it out. It's, nice. it's, it's about 450 kilometers or so, isn't it? It's about that. Yes. 260 yeah. miles. Yeah. 430. Yeah, that sounds right. That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. So a decent, just a decent over, just job. over two days. Yes. What, was... what is it now? 58 hours. I think he did. Uh, and I did 60, 61 or something. So, um, yeah, it's about two, less than two and a half days now. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. Bearing in mind, he he did the full route faster than I did half the route. <laughs> when I did the Challenger, that's uh, oh, you did the Challenger. Oh, nice one, nice one. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I mean, have you got any other sort of big races or big challenges or plans in the next year or so? Um, yeah, all eyes on UTMB for now, but I I do have a place in 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 the Spine race in January um that was kind of deferred from last year yeah um so at the moment yeah at the moment i'd still be quite excited to do that again i do love i do love being out in british winter um i mean we're talking on a day where it's it's nearly 30 degrees in britain or at least where i am so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's quite easy to be nostalgic for winter um or at least for me I, I i yeah i prefer the winter to the summer if i'm honest um uh I, you know i just love that idea of I don't know, snuggling into your, your waterproof and, um, you know, the, the, the elements are bat battering you and, and, you know, you're, you're just about struggling to stay warm. And I, I like that element of adventure. Um, you almost forget it's about the running. It's about, you know, being out there and, um, yeah, in testing conditions, I suppose. Um, so I do love to do something in winter. So at the moment I'm in, in for the spine race. After that, I've certainly got some ideas, but nothing, nothing sort of locked in yet. And on, on the cold weather side of things, because I've got a, an Arctic race coming up in a couple of years and I've seen you've done a, an Arctic ultra as well. Um, you got any advice for cold weather races or extreme cold weather races? Oh, um, yeah, I guess. I mean, not forget, you know, the old classic of remembering to eat is, is, is important because you are burning, you know, you burn the calories quicker. Um, and sometimes when you feel cold, you know, having a bit of a snack it, it does it does help i mean yeah you've got to do your research with kit and i mean yeah i did the ice ultra and it got down to minus 36 one morning um nice. and that was my fastest morning um <laughs> so the number one rule i suppose is if you're getting cold run <laughs> run quicker <laughs> nice <laughs> um i want to i want to almost change the topic slightly to you say that your your first race you've kind of found ultra running later in life and you're 40 in your 40s now i don't, I don't want to say exactly how old you are because i'll get it wrong <laughs> but how much do you reckon of your your talent is was um through if you like raw natural talent versus just hard work and determination because i mean some of the some of your race results are for people that don't know you've you know you've come seventh in the Iger ultra trail you you have a fifth place at utmb you've got a first at the ultra tour montrosa you've 
you've got 13th at Marathon de Saab, uh, second in the Mo, uh, the Mozart 100, and and the list goes on and on and on and on. How much of it is is, is skill and talent versus attitude I, and determination? I, I I think a lot of it is the you know the hard work in training. Um, I don't think I mean if you look at my marathon PB, it's not very special. So that would imply you know I don't have a lot of you know natural talent, genetic natural talent. Um, and when I race UTMB. There's a load of, especially the Americans, there's a load of them that have, you know, they can do a 220 marathon, you know, fairly easily. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if it's easy for them, but but they, they've registered several. And my, my PB is like 238. Um, yeah, we all think we can do a bit better than that, of course, but I'm, I'm not going to be below 230 um, ever. Whereas, you know, several of them, so they've got, you know, it costs them less energy to work, mm-hmm. to work you know, as hard as I'm working uh, to go at the same pace. Um, now, what I love about this sport and, and running 100 miles especially is that so many other factors come into it. You know, you're fueling, you're pacing, how good your technique. There's four different types of technique, at least here, you know, uphill running, uphill hiking, downhill running and running on the flat. Now, they're all going to beat me on running on the flat, most likely, or, or, the, or that elite gang. But maybe, you know, maybe some of them will misjudge the pacing. In fact, that's what normally happens. Um, and maybe they won't fuel as well as me. Maybe I'm better at some descending or some ascending. I'm not brilliant at any of that, but... Um, you know, there are more skills come into it. And, and then there's the motivational stuff, you know, how much do you want it, I suppose? How much does it matter? Um, and so that's kind of, that's what I love about the sport, that there are all these variables that make it a more level playing field. And so there are guys, you know, who are on paper, if we did VO, VO2 max tests or just treadmill, you know, if you got the data, they'd be far more impressive. But if they make a few mistakes and I get everything right, then I may catch them and I may beat them. And that's, to me, that's what excites me about it, actually. Um, but yeah, for me, it's definitely more, I think, hard work and enthusiasm. Yeah, there's definitely lots of enthusiasm. I do just just love this stuff. It's, it's just so so fun and exciting. Um, um, yeah, it's definitely that most of that side of things. And now, now that ultra running is, is definitely now turning into more of a young man's sport, if you like, and it's attracting loads of young, young, huge... <laughs> hugely talented athletes and do you feel that there's a an immaturity to the racing like you said where whereas you tend to take a more methodical approach oh uh i don't know i couldn't say that for certain um um and i mean and and also if you looked at the way i've raced utmb or, or some of my race results you you could accuse me of being possibly too conservative and not gambling enough and i mean i've never dnf'd in one of these races in, in an ultra marathon which almost implies you know, I haven't pushed myself enough, possibly, you know, I've mm. always been quite, quite level, quite, you could almost say predictable. Um, but you're getting faster every year. At UTMB. I, suppose, I suppose that's true. Um, yeah. And whether that's down to training or whether it's down to being more ambitious in the race, it's probably both. Um, but yeah, I mean, you do see some runners go off, go off too hard and UTMB is the classic race for you know, people going out hard and, and blowing up and, uh, quitting it, quitting it, Cormier, especially, which which usually suits me. I usually simply can't keep up with them, and and um, I'm quite quite grateful when they've when they've quit and I can move up a few places. Um, I don't know. We might see that. Yeah, we're definitely seeing lots of new people come into the sport, which is really exciting. And yeah, there's going to be a point where I yeah I, I can't. I'm 45. Um, there's going to be a point where I can't keep up with some of these people. Um, but you know, such is life. I'll just move to the longer stuff, I suppose. <laughs> I say, if in doubt, go longer. Yeah. <laughs> I think you've got a good few years left in you yet. Absolutely. They should keep, they should keep worrying. Absolutely. <laughs> You're very kind. 
see. Cool. Um, I mean, I've got one question left that my uh, my missus made me ask you. Um, <laughs> what's your bucket list race? What was what would be the race that you would you've always wanted to do, or or particular route? Like obviously, I know you do FKTs and stuff, which aren't organised races. Is there any particular route that you would absolutely love to go and do? Gosh, yeah, that I mean, I would love to do Hard Rock in America, but it's incredibly difficult to get into. So I, I don't, I almost don't, I always forget about it. I mean, I enter the ballot, but I forget about it. And I guess there's the complication with, you know, there's going to be some emissions there. It's not an easy one to get a train to, I don't believe. Um, I guess the, the more local one I'm excited about is, is Tour de Gion. I, I, I think I've, yeah, I'm pretty keen to try and do that next year. Nice. Um, just hear so many good things about that. Um, but, you know, yeah, there's lots of exciting stuff in Britain. Um, may, you know, that, yeah, there's some rounds in Scotland that I haven't done yet. And um lots of stuff in Europe, in the Alps, um, all sorts, actually, all sorts. I mean, there's things like the, uh, the Kungsleden trail in, in Sweden, which sounds fantastic. And um, I mean, I wouldn't set an FKT on it, but the, is it the GR20, I think on Corsica, which oh, yeah. um, I've, I've done that one. Wow. Have you? That yeah. sounds amazing. It's incredible. Absolutely yeah. incredible. I mean, I wouldn't set an FKT on that because I think Francois Dane has it or, or um, so yeah I wouldn't get close but you know just as a running holiday it's that sounds that sounds amazing um, yeah well I've given you a few there there's, yeah, there's just so many things to do I think <laughs> this is endless Damien I think we have taken uh, plenty of your time there and you've given us loads where can people find you obviously they need to go and buy your book immediately I'm guessing <laughs> that's on Amazon but where can people reach out to you see what you're doing follow you wish you luck for UTMB and upcoming events oh thanks um, probably I'm most active on on Instagram um, it's less Instagram seems less squabbly than the other ones, doesn't it? It's, you just post, <laughs> post a nice picture and everyone's happy. Um, uh, yeah, Instagram. I think I'm ultra, ultra underscore demo because I think my name was taken. So yeah, come yeah. along, come along and find me there. That's um, yeah, I'm on Strava and, and all, all of them really. So pretty easy to find. Um, but ju I'm just as boring uh, on on social media. So you've been warned. <laughs> <laughs> amazing Damien thank you so much for your time thanks very much mate thank you very much enjoyed it cheers guys cheers thank you lads how was that I mean, it's a bit yeah. faster than me <laughs> <laughs> aside aside from the vegan talk <laughs> uh, yeah I mean obviously I've followed him for quite a while he's, he's a hell of an athlete especially for, for mid 40s so mm. yeah I mean and he's just a humble guy, which he obviously I think came across on that as well. Definitely, yeah. Doesn't want anyone to buy his book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, it's it's been quite a pleasure to talk to him, to be honest, because obviously I've never met him, but I've followed him for a long time, so I'm happy. Yeah, I think he just comes off as a really normal, nice guy. Yeah, I think every this this seems to be a common trend that every every elite runner that we seem to get on the, th the theme is they're just normal, lovely, lovely people that just love running. Yeah. yeah. I think especially in the ultra world, it's so hard to be a professional, isn't it? It's, you know, it's not, they've all got full-time jobs and stuff like that on the side. Mm. Rob, you mentioned his UTMB time is quite close to yours. 
<laughs> he has his, his, his UTMB time is 20 or is yeah 22 hours and something seconds is his uh one of his fastest times a couple what of years was? ago which is mind-blowing <laughs> how I mean, um what is the UTMB France course compared to the Pyrenees one are they it's very similar very, very similar distance there's a couple of k difference I think it's uh 3k 4k longer and same elevation okay but but ten and a half thousand ten thousand eight hundred maybe well, that's quite cool you can compare them yeah 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 awesome lee plug in a fight endurance uk for us <laughs> um in a fight endurance uk follow us on instagram at if underscore endurance uk uh if you live in cumbria get yourself down to track tuesdays at penrith um, and yeah, just get involved. You are actually putting some great content out on your Instagram at the moment on the on the UK channel. Some uh, saw some hip mobility go out today last yes. week with some some single leg strength work. It's well worth well worth going over. And do you know what I do when I see posts like that? Is I save them and then I put a little note in my calendar on like a, a quieter day, like a Saturday, and then I go back through them all and and see how I can help implement them into either mine or other people's weeks. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good, good way of doing it. Good way and of if, doing it. And if it's good enough for Damien Hall, I think it's good enough for the rest of us. <laughs> Very true, mate. Yeah, he did talk about <laughs> strength training. He did. Awesome. Rob Jones, anything to plug? No. Uh, <laughs> start to run. Start to run. <laughs> I do. Always. Every time. I always forget. It's like I don't want anyone to start to run. If you're a new runner and you're, you, you don't yet run and you want to start running, drop me a message and I can have a chat with you. Excellent. And you can be anywhere in the world, actually. Anywhere in the world. You can, anywhere. Except for the UK. For, do, you know, do you know who's just joined Start to Run? <laughs> Who? Steph's mum. Oh, oh nice. yeah. Our coach, Steph, her mum. There you go. Go on, nice. Steph. Say it's it for old Steph's people, mom. too. I don't think she listens to the show, so it's okay. <laughs> Come on. Only actually, our mums she, listen. Do you know what I had to do? Uh, she actually requested to not have the Training Peaks version because it's too, uh, too much admin, so I had to go back and send her the PDF. <laughs> awesome old school old school (laughs) excellent for anything else that we offer triathlon coaching swimming coaching running coaching cycling coaching ocr coaching please email endurance at innerfight.com and as i said at the start of the show this show has been brought to you by precision hydration and you can head over to precisionhydration.com and use the code runstrong15 and you get no guess no prizes for guessing how much you get off 15% 15% off your first order, which is electrolytes and now their new precision fuel range. That is precisionhydration.com. Use the code RUNSTRONG15. We'll be back next week with the actual Q&A show that was meant to be this week, but we've moved it to next week. So get your questions in. Again, endurance at innerfight.com and we'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>